Welcome back to In Light of the Gospel, episode 31. I'm in a different house right now. I'm on a work site out in uh, Windsor, Ontario, so I haven't been home. And uh, so I'm recording on the road. So the recordings looks a little different. My backgrounds are a little different uh, here and in the conversation. So in this conversation, I get to talk to Rick Giesberg, who's from Southern Alberta. I met him while we were out there in uh, in Tabor and in Vauxhall preaching. And uh, I was really challenged by his story. He um, he came to a place in his life, being the son of a preacher, being the son of the Altista or bishop in the old colony in Tabor, he uh, he had to make a decision at some point, and he counted the cost. He talked to his wife and he said, "Are we willing to take up the cross and to follow Jesus? Will we be willing to abandon all to follow Him?" And their answer was ultimately yes. But the idea that it costs something to follow Jesus. It seems to be a lost thing, and I'm glad that Rick brought this up because it does. When you come to Jesus, when you decide to follow him, it will cost you something. And it'll cost different people different things, but I think this story will be a blessing to many of you. Many of you will be able to identify with it, and hopefully you will be blessed enough to feel like you really got to share it with somebody. So thanks again for tuning in, and I appreciate you coming along. It's good to see you again, Rick. I uh, just met you finally in person when we were out in Alberta there and got to spend an afternoon with you guys and uh, saw you playing music and all that kind of stuff. It was a real pleasure to get to know you at least a little bit, but I'm really looking forward to hearing more of your story. Um, I understand a few things about you, that you were born and raised Old Colony and your dad was even the Altista there in the Tabor area. Is that uh, kind of yeah, a good starting mostly, point? Yeah, that's a good starting point. I think mostly my dad was, he would always consider him or Altista to the, the Vauxhall church, right? He had for a while, he had, I think there was five little colony churches that he was um, over, um, but then they, they kind of split up and, well, not really split up, but they just made another Altista, I think, just to divvy out yeah. the workload, right? So now he's more Altista to the Vauxhall area. He doesn't really come to Tabor much, so. You were, were you born and raised in Alberta? Uh, I was born in Ontario. I think I was one maybe two years old when we moved from Ontario to uh, to Vauxhall or Enchant area. And that's where I, I grew up, like within probably 20 kilometers till I got married and moved to Tabor. So that's like, you know, 50 kilometers away. So yeah, okay. I'm a Southern Alberta boy, but yeah, I grew, I was born in Simcoe, Simcoe, Ontario. Yeah. Oh, that's only like 15 minutes from my place. Oh, really? Be interesting to come back and actually see the, <laughs> the town. I don't remember anything of it. I've visited, I think twice, but. I don't remember much of Ontario. Okay. So you've always yeah. been in the cold Alberta wind. Well, now, yes, definitely. Summertime, it gets pretty hot, but. Yeah, we've been there in the summertime a couple of times now. More, We were more in the northern part. We were in the southern part the one time, but uh, yeah. we got some pretty warm days. There was like like 30 degrees a couple of times when we were in Alberta. So it's not like it, it's always cold there, but we were there. It was uh, obviously very windy and very cold. Uh, came, yeah. Coming through the prairies, North Dakota and Saskatchewan, Manitoba, it was all very, very windy, right? Um, yeah. So it's something you kind of get used to, I guess. Yeah. So was your dad a preacher from the time you can remember, or was that something that happened? Um, yeah, I remember, I believe it was in 95, and I was born in 92, so I would have been three years old. But I, I vaguely remember a few things that when he was actually... Um, ordained as a, as a preacher in the old colony um i yeah it, i was like i was said i was very young so i don't remember much details there's a few things that stick out my mind um but he was uh yeah from i i say my whole childhood as much as i can remember he was a, a preacher and i was a preacher's kid so that's uh that's how i grew up um knowing my dad as a preacher and yeah did you did you feel the pressure of being a preacher kid or was that not really something that you thought about um, I remember a few instances where people approached me and, and were like, oh, you're, you're the preacher's kid. And they, they'd address me in a different way, like you're Jacob Giesbrecht's son or whatever they would say. Um, but it never really stuck out to me because it wasn't a big uh, transition for me. There was no transition. It was, uh, that's how I grew up. Right. So for me, it was completely normal. I think it was more my sisters, my older sisters. They, uh, uh, I think it was more because of the dress code, mm -hmm. they felt quite a bit of pressure. 
um, you know, they would be working in the fields and they'd be wearing pants and, they'd, you know, somebody would see them wearing pants and, you know, my parents would hear about it, that they were wearing pants and then, but my parents were in full understanding of it. They were like, well, yeah, you can't really row canola in, in dresses, right? So, um, and that, you know, that, that caused a little bit of, I guess, tension, but for myself, I didn't really notice, notice much, so. Okay. So like, uh, I guess it would depend too on your characteristics, your mannerisms. Sometimes when a preacher's kid is a bit rebellious or uh, mm -hmm. doesn't comply with, which you found out later on, obviously, when it doesn't comply with the dad's teaching or something like that, it can be pretty rough, yeah. right? Where the, the whole church is kind of watching all the preacher's kids, they get away with this, or they don't do that, or they're such hypocrites, or a lot of criticism towards the preacher's kids, but you didn't really think about that. Eh? No, um, well, I, growing up, I, I modeled myself, or I, I prided myself in that I was a good preacher's kid, right? I, I was the model preacher's kid. My, my parents were very proud of me. Like I, I, I was a good kid. Uh, I didn't, I, I mean, through my teenage years, I tried doing the things that my friends did. I wanted to be cool as well. I wanted to fit in. I tried smoking, I tried drinking, but I just couldn't do it. I never, I could never get myself to the point where I actually enjoyed it. So therefore I never got drunk. I never got addicted to smoking. I think I tried a cigarette once, maybe twice. And drinking, mm -hmm. I, I tried a few different things but I could never get myself to the point where I enjoyed it, where I got drunk because I, my parents raised me in a way that um, I, I respected a lot. They, I, I don't know if it was so much that I feared God at the time, but I, I feared dis, um, disappointing my parents. I go. knew that, you know, I came home from on Sunday morning or Sunday evening from hanging out with my friends and my parents would just ask me how my day would, had gone. Right. And if I had been drinking, I was so guilty. I'm like, you know, I will never, I told my parents, yeah, I had a beer or two. And they were so disappointed. They never like spanked me as a teenager. Um, but they were so disappointed and I could see that they, I just, just about broke their heart. So yeah. that was really what, uh, I think a, a big part of what kept me back from actually enjoying a lot of those things. Cause I know some of my friends and the people I hung out with sometimes it was their parents. Yes. Obviously didn't say that they were allowed to do these things, but there was never any, I, I didn't see, I think we just grew up different. A lot of, a lot of people grew up different than I did. I have had a very good childhood, a good, very good parents. Okay. Yeah. A lot of people don't fear to disappoint their parents. right? like that. I was, I was very much that way too. I think it was more my, my character because my older brothers did rebel quite a bit, two of them anyway. And yeah. they really uh, resisted the, to comply, right? They did get drunk. They did drive drunk sometimes and they got into other parties and whatever else. Right. So yeah. for me, I was like, I never want to touch that stuff. I don't ever want to disappoint my parents in that way. I disappointed them in other ways, I'm sure. But uh, I was very good yeah. that way as well. So what, like early yeah. on, you said you didn't really necessarily fear God. Was there a, an awareness of God? Was there like a fear of him at all? Or was it more just that you wanted to be good for your parents and the church's sake? Well, I backtracking a little bit. I shouldn't say I didn't, I didn't fear God. I had, obviously I was raised um in a in a household that we say we my parents would say we we believe in god and everything right we would my parents always said you know read your bible and i would try to read on a nightly basis growing up and read my new testament it wasn't so much reading from the bible it was just always reading my new testament so even as a child i even remember being afraid to go to hell and i know so many people so many um especially mennonite kids have that fear of mm -hmm. like oh boy i'm go i'm gonna go to hell like if it's so hard to get into heaven, then I must be, I must be very careful. And I have to, I have to, you know, make sure I do all the right things. Otherwise I will die and go to hell. So I, ha I had a tremendous fear of, of death. I did not want to die. I remember being, uh, I, this was way before I was a teenager, probably, I don't know, let's say 10 years old, but uh, I, I would fall asleep praying, just asking God to not kill me, not please don't let me die by fire. Don't let me die in a car accident. Don't let me be mauled by an animal. Like I was terrified of any sort of death because um, I was afraid of meeting God and not, not meeting his, his requirements, right. Being mm. not being good enough and then having him say, depart from me. I had enough knowledge that, you know, I was, uh, I tried to be good, but I knew like, Oh boy, I, I don't want to weigh myself. I, I don't think I'll be good enough. So looking back on that kind of fear now, do you think, and I'm asking this genuinely because I don't really know, do you think that's a healthy fear or was that not good for you? I think it, from when I got saved, then that fear, you can see how that fear was healthy. Um, 
and when you get saved, when you when you see that Christ took that punishment, then there is such a big relief. There is such a thankfulness that, you know, I don't have to go to bed terrified of waking up or of waking up in hell or not not waking up at all or that fear of death. Right. That I, that I, that fear was healthy. But as a child, I I wish I would have had more. Um, I, I wish my parents would have expressed it more that, you know, Christ came to give life, right? Mm -hmm. He can give you life more abundantly, not, not to live in such a, a terrible fear of God himself, because then, then it's almost like God is a terrifying God, which he is. God is, a, he, the Bible says he's a terrible God, but he's, he's a, he's a, he's a good God to, to the, to his children, to the believer, right? So I, I do, I wish that would have been more, you know, expressed for my parents, which yeah. it wasn't like, it was more, you know, you, you are in, in always in great danger because God can cast you into hell at any moment, right? Yeah. I, somebody called me just the other day and we were talking about this. And uh, I, I said that, you know, the, the climate change people right now, they've convinced a whole subset of young people that the world is about to end because the climate is changing so drastically, right? And they're in panic. They're fearing. Like they'll go out in the streets and do drastic things, glue themselves to floors or walls or like any yeah. number of really weird things. And they're genuinely terrified that the world is about to end if we don't change things now right and so yep. i think a lot of christians end up raising their parent their kids that way too especially religious people that don't really have any hope like that's a hopeless type of message they think the only hope we have is to completely 100 percent change the way all of humanity is doing life altogether or else we're going to all be doomed for sure and so if yep. you have a message like that like um, a very strong mennonite message where God is upstairs. He's angry. He's he hates wicked people and he's going to send people to hell. It's going to put an awful lot of fear into a child. But there's yeah. none of this idea that, you know, Jesus welcomed the children to come and sit on his lap. He, you know, he yeah. he loved little ki kids. He said, unless you become like one of these little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And um, he took time for them. He blessed them. You know, it's yeah, we should have that understanding that, yes, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But that's for sinful people. That's for really yeah. evil, wicked people, right? And as mm -hmm. you grow up, you, you recognize that I do fall into that category. But a 7-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, they should be worshiping God. They should be crying yeah. out praises to Him, right? Yeah. Yeah, we, we grew up like singing songs and everything, but the songs were never a comfort to, to me, right? It was, obviously, we sang a lot of gospel songs in the house. And at Christmas time, we would sing sometimes Plodicia songs that, you know, I could understand in a language I could understand and some like good songs, but they were they never gave me any comfort, any hope, right? It was I I knew God as as just an angry God, just as a, a terrifying God that was looking to destroy me, right? If I did not do something right. But... Well, I mean, to me it sounds like in some ways your family was raised quite a bit different than a lot of other old colony people are. I mean, the fear and the terror and that panic, that's kind of common. But yep. the fact that you didn't rebel and that you weren't willing to disobey your parents, that you really respected them and that you thought they had a good marriage and that kind of stuff, that's very rare. A lot of Mennonite fan, uh, kids grow up just they can't stand their parents' marriage. They would never want anything like it. And they don't respect their mom and dad. Right. I'm not it's not across the board, but that is a pretty common theme. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I know even as I got older. Um, in my teen years, you start hanging out with more people, you get to know more people. And uh, I found out too, in, in, in my teenage years, that it was kind of rare that how my family was, there was, it, to me, it, it sounded strange if, you know, oh, the somebody's uh, dad would be drinking, and then, oh, yeah, they got into a fight with their dad. And, and there was fights between the, the parents. And that never happened in my household, never, there was, I can say a real love, in in our in our household there was i had uh well i have i should not had but i have five siblings i have two older sisters and then there's this my sister lisa's one younger than i am then i have two brothers um but there was a real love in our family we did so many things together we went on vacations we went trip on trips um to the states we went camping we've done a lot of, of good fun activities as families together and yeah, of course, within the children, there's squabbles and you do have fights and things like that, but never anything 
uh, very serious. Um, it was, there was always that to? what's that? What do you attribute that to? Why, why was there this peace and, uh, order in your household? Obviously you said well, there was genuine love. From what we could see was because my, my parents had a great relationship. They had a, they have a marriage that I looked to them. I looked to them for a lot of things, like, especially in the marriage. I'm like, wow, I hope, you know, when I'm their age, even now that my wife and I can have that same, same marriage. They, they, they don't openly like flirt. They're not like, very touchy and things like that. But I don't remember ever them having any sort of fight. I remember disagreements. Um, they would just talk and discuss things. And then a, a decision would be made and they'd move on. There was never, um, and, and it was also my dad. <clears throat> I remember the one time my sister disrespected my mom. She was a, in, in her teenage years and she, she spoke back to my mom. She, uh, I don't know, I don't quite remember what the conversation was, but she was not nice at all to, to my mom and, and dad got angry. He said, he said, Kathy, come here. And he was, he was angry. He says, don't ever, ever talk to your mom like that. I could see he was actually angry. And, and I respected him as I was, you know, 13 years old or something. I respected him for that. I said, wow, yeah. my dad is sticking up for his wife. And honestly, I think that's, that's a huge, my, my childhood, that was, I, I could see that my parents really loved each other. That yeah, was that's awesome. Yeah, that, uh, that does sound very pleasant. So then uh, getting up into your teenage years, you, you played sports and you played music, that kind of thing, but you didn't really get into the party scene and the drinking and all that kind of stuff. So what, what kind of brought you to the place of, uh, I mean, you can get to that as you go, but through your teenage years, you were, you were pretty active? Yeah, well, I, when you say I didn't go to the parties, I did go to the parties. Um, that was just, that was something that we did. We had a group of, I have a group of friends that we, that we uh, hung out with. You know, we were together every Sunday and then Wednesday nights, sometimes Saturday nights. We, but we, there was a lot of, we played a lot of hockey. We played baseball. We had baseball teams and very active. But on Sundays, we did go to parties. And uh, a lot of my friends, I watched them get drunk and I'd drive them home. Even as someone have, not having a license, I remember going through Tabor. Like not even, <clears throat> I think I had my learners at the time, like my beginners. But you can get um, them at 14 there, right? Yeah, I was 14. I did not have my license. I was 14 or 15 driving my friends through Tabor, like it was dark, nighttime, a couple friends in the back, drunk, <laughs> just, I look back, I'm like, wow, how did I not get busted, right, but wow. um, we did go to parties, I never enjoyed them, I hated, whenever my friends said, oh, let's go to the party, I hated it, and and through my years, uh, like, that, I prided, I took pride in that, that I was, mm -hmm. that I didn't enjoy that, I, I became self-righteous, um, all the way up till to all the way up to my uh, through my baptism and everything where I got be and everything where where I got baptized into the old colony church it was I took pride I started recognizing that I was better than some of the people around me and that that I had a very self-righteous attitude eventually I don't think people got that from me um but I in my mind that's that's who I became because I always took pride in oh I didn't uh, I didn't do that as bad as I wasn't as bad as my friends and and when I met Susie um we said right from the beginning we we were going to stay pure and we weren't going to ever take off our clothes or anything like that and i took pride in that oh yeah i'm i even got married a virgin and all those things but that that was a very damaging self-righteous attitude right through throughout my teenage years so well that's interesting right because we want we want that from our kids too right we yeah want them to stay away from drugs and alcohol we want them to stay virgin we want them to be pure um and even to take somewhat of a pride in it to say, no, I don't do that. I'm not one of those kind of people, right? But it's when yeah. you, it's when you start thinking, I am more worthy of God's attention and His affection and His love than they are because I did such and such. That you're not seeing clearly enough that even your little things that you thought were kind of okay, uh, yeah. kind of cross certain lines. They were far worse than we realize, right? Even though you want the kids to be good, but you want their conscience to be really sensitive to recognize that when you do sin, you're of the same sort. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And for me, I think the big thing why I was my, well, I guess Susie and I, when we were still dating, what determined us so much to stay virgins was I didn't want to have that shame of getting married or in here, the, the old colony still does it. If, 
like if the, the girl is not a virgin, she has to wear a duke and she she goes up front, right? So it singles her out that she's one of them that lost her virginity, right? And okay. that I didn't want to have that that shame on me. You know, I, me as a preacher's kid, my dad's the eldest, I'm his oldest son. Like what would people think, right? That was that was a big thing too that kept me away from that. So, so there was some pressure on you as a preacher's yeah, kid to make sure was, that you yeah. stayed clean. <clears throat> yeah. Again, uh, I often think about how many sins would I not have committed if I didn't have social pressure? The pressure of my parents, the pressure of the old colony system, the pressure of my friends who didn't get into trouble. You know, if I was just left to my own devices and did what I actually wanted to do at any given time, I would have done horrific things. Yeah. But because <laughs> I had all this pressure, it's like a grace that God gives to people, right? I'm so glad I didn't mess up my life more than I did. Absolutely. I didn't make me yeah. more righteous than other people. But I'm really glad that I stayed away from certain things. It didn't get me down all these terrible rabbit trails, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the perfect example is is like so on the outside. I was I was a very clean kid. Everybody thought, you know, he's he's a model guy. And even when he's at parties, he's not a bad partier, right? He doesn't get drunk. That's that's the kind of the model that I had on the outside. But every opportunity I could as a teenager to get into pornography, I took like because I knew that was hidden. It was something that people didn't see on the outside that's something yeah. i could secret every opportunity i could i would um that was that something that drew you know every sin has consequences i'm I'm glad i didn't get into alcohol because that means that today i could be struggling with alcohol i could not have a lick and then desire to go after it you know i don't i have absolutely no desire to drink alcohol i could have a beer and it would i'd probably be buzzing but it wouldn't it wouldn't ever i have no desire to just yeah. get drunk or like it's or smoking any of those things but because as a, as a kid getting exposed to pornography at a really young age that uh, now I can see how damaging it is. And I wish I would have stayed away from all of that, whether it would be religious reasons or just a fear of God or whatever it is. I wish I would have stayed away from it, but I was never, you know, I, that's something that my parents lacked. They never taught us children how to battle something like that. Right? So. It, it wasn't, it wasn't open. Right. And so that, that yeah. is one of the things too, that even for me, it was the same way. Like that's one sin that you can just kind of keep hidden. Nobody sees it back yeah. then. You couldn't just go access it. I never had internet growing up. I didn't have a smartphone yeah. growing up. I, you know, you had to actually go out and look for this stuff. So yeah. it was a little bit more difficult than it is today, but it was definitely something that you could just kind of make sure nobody ever saw and nobody ever knew yeah. that you were into that. So yeah i would imagine that led to a fair bit of shame and guilt though then personally eh? it did yeah I, it did and uh that leads right up to i guess where um i susie and i we wanted to get baptized we wanted to, to clean up our life we had talked about it we're like you know we we got to take the next step and we know the right thing to do is is to get baptized and confess our sins do all those things and and when i did i i, I went to my dad and you confess your sins to the alta son i I, you know, like everybody says, oh, you feel so good after. And, and I felt lighter because I had, I had opened myself up and, and told him everything. Um, but it, it didn't last long. It was a, a very fleeting. I remember even right after being baptized, I think it was the day after something. And, and people always have this saying that, oh, I wish I could have died right then. I felt so good. I'm, I'm praise the Lord that I didn't die at that time because I would I'd be burning in hell right now. I was on um, the day after or the two days after, man, I felt so rotten guilty again i'm like in my in my heart i was like what have i done i i just made myself as clean as i possibly could before god now i feel just as guilty if not yeah. worse than i did before i'm like what must i do what can i do i was desperate and and my wife felt the same way she we were very much we felt both that we talked about these things we're like man what is this all it is you know we we did all these things. We made sure we did everything 100% right. And even when we forgot about some, confessing some things, then we made sure we went back and confessed those things yet. And um, and even during going through the baptism, I felt like, you know, I'm finally doing something or I'm doing something right. This will earn me some merit before God. But, you know, after I just felt worse than I did before, there's something definitely missing and I, I couldn't pinpoint it. Hmm. So... You you got baptized just before you got married then as well. No, we we got uh, we had no intention of well, obviously I think we did have intention of marriage, getting married, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't what we were discussing at the time. Um, we it was only a year, 
uh, it would have been a year, exact, probably exactly a year later that we got we got married, actually. So, okay, that was in 2013 <clears throat> that we got married, and uh, I to pin, pinpoint a day to when uh, to when Jesus was real or when He became Lord in, in my life. Um, I I can't pinpoint a day. Um, I would I I always jump back to a few things that happened that that uh, really stick out to me. But I don't. I can't put a time or a date stamp on it, right? But uh, how old were um, you when I, you got married? I was twenty-one, or was okay. I twenty? I don't even know. Okay. Yeah. But the the you said that you'd been married for a little bit before you started thinking about these things more seriously. It was right. It was right after our baptism. Um, but and there was a, a lot of things that. I, it was mostly after I was after we were married. Um, it starts with. I guess so John Bolt a lot of people have a testimony of that involves John Bolt but when he came down from Ontario um he had a, quite the reputation already even down here um there's quite a few people my parents included that said you know stay away from John Bolt he's going to he's going to pull you away he's going to all these things he's going to deceive you yeah but that if anything that piqued my curiosity but I also I wanted to to hang out with him here remote because I I I had spoken to him a little bit years ago in, when we went to Ontario and I wanted to catch up with him. I wanted to see what, what he was like. And um, I remember going, well, driving through Tabor here and he is for every opportunity that John would get, he would preach the gospel to everyone. Right. And uh, wow. he, he said to me, one thing that stuck out to me is first John five thirteen that he said, did you know that the Bible says you should know that ye may know ye have eternal life. Yeah. And uh, I thought I knew my Bible pretty good because I, I always read it. Um, but I had never that never stuck out to me. I did, never remembered reading that. And in my mind, I was thinking, are you sure? And he kept kept going. But I'm like, OK, I asked him where it was. And and I went home and I actually studied that. And sure enough, it does say that in First John five. Right. And uh, I was shocked that something that significant I had never understood, never read it. Yeah. And uh, I, th I think that was a doorway to, you know, a, a lot of um, other Bible verses that came in. But uh, I, I don't know if that was, I don't think that's where I got saved, but it definitely opened up uh, a whole can of worms. That, that seems to be one of the best verses to yeah. use with Mennonite people. I've heard so many people share that testimony and, or even just that concept where, you know, I, I hold to the Bible. I am a strong Mennonite. It is our book. I believe it word for word. Okay, well, yeah. have you read this passage? Of course I've read that passage. Did you actually pay attention to it? Well, I think so. And then you go read it and you're like, oh, shoot. I had no idea that the yeah. Bible said anything. Can... You can read it and read it and read it, and it never actually registers that, it, that that's what it's saying, right? Because you're not yeah. thinking about it as if, what does this mean? Or what is this saying? You're just reading it because it's something you need to do to be good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was... Uh... I think at the beginning where I started to, to look into scriptures, I know we, we wanted to join a Bible study and uh, we, John, so John Bolt had a, had a Bible study and we went to their Bible study once, uh, Susie and I, and uh, then we spoke to our parents about it. I spoke to my, my dad about it and he said, you know, we shouldn't, we probably shouldn't go to a Bible study. There's nothing wrong with studying your Bible, but he said, if there's a lot of different uh, churches getting together, people from different churches, you'll get some some wrong ideas because nobody thinks the same no no church teaches the same thing he said then uh, it, it can can be dangerous so i recommend you not going and me uh, being who i was i was like you know i'm going to respect that so i went we went to the next bible study Susie and i and i told him you know i told him exactly that that we wouldn't be coming anymore hmm. um but it uh i had already my my curiosity was already peaked i wanted to know more about the scriptures i wanted yeah. to i wanted to know more i i was hungry for it and I, the first time we heard about the word salvation, um, like we, me and Susie, we both read English Bibles, but for some reason, both of us, we don't remember the word salvation being ever so clear to us. We, we were driving to Calgary with the one day, um, I don't know for what, but uh, we, we were listening to, there was a Christian radio station at that time that played uh, Charles Stanley messages and Chuck Swindoll, a few other guys like that, but uh, we were listening to a message from Charles Stanley, and he had a message, how to know that you know, or something something along those lines. Okay. How, 
yeah, it was about salvation, right? And he explained salvation. And uh, we had never, never heard of salvation or like what it all entailed, what it, what, what it meant, what the word salvation meant. And uh, that was, I know Susie can say, relate back to that. And she said that was when she realized, you know, we're missing something big to right. actually have an assurance where you feel peace, where God made peace with you and you can, you can rest at night, not feeling condemned, right? Hmm. Um, yeah. Those kinds of things, like listening to Christian radio or preachers or modern music or anything like that, was that not a major no-no? I always get the impression that the Southern Alberta or the Alberta Old Colony altogether are very, very strict with a lot of the things that they believe in. Like their church buildings don't have leans on the pews and the preachers dress much more old fashioned with the big Steivlin and stuff like that. Like I just would have assumed that all of that would have been strictly off the table. You're not allowed to do any of that stuff. Yeah, that would that would have been forbidden. That that would be something <clears throat> that music not so much. Um my parents they tried to keep us away from like more music. I know when I got baptized I threw away all my music. I didn't have much bad music, but I wanted to be good, so I, I threw everything away. But uh, my parents never—they never really encouraged me with music. But I was—I think I was 15 years old when I bought my first guitar from one of my friends, and uh, I started playing right away. I really liked it. Um, and I remember the one—the one time I was—I was still single. I was playing in my garage. I had my little electric guitar amp set up, and I had a, a portable mic, and I was playing uh, a contemporary Christian song. Um, a song by Aaron Schust, My Savior, My God, or something like that. I was right, yeah. I was playing and singing there, and <clears throat> I noticed out of the corner of my eye, my dad was peeking into the garage door, and he was holding his phone. He was recording it. And <laughs> it was like I was playing with distortion. You know, it was more of a rock sound. It, it was not a country gospel song. It wasn't anything traditional by any means, right? So, um, and then he he never said anything about it. So I know he had wow. he was recording because he he liked the sound of it, right? Or the maybe it was because his son was playing and worshiping God. I don't know. So it was never really encouraged. But I eventually we started. Uh, we had a band at the time, a few different bands, a few different guys here and there. But uh, we started setting up uh, little events. I know John Giesbrecht has talked about these. They were Compassion Canada events. We would yeah. host Compassion Canada, and we try to get children sponsored through that um so we had we played played a lot of music and that was still when i was in the old colony this and before uh, you we, were married even uh it was right during so even before i was married and then even after i was married that okay. continued for a few years yeah so we did that but that was um eventually that that came out uh we were sunday school teachers at the time we were asked to be sunday school teachers in in uh, a, a local church here in Tabor. Um, in the old colony, and uh, that came out. There was a few things that led to us being remo removed from there, but one of those things was um, there was an accusation that I played rock music, right? Uh, that I uh, that I watched TV and I, I listened to rock music, and uh, that was I don't know where it came from, but somebody, I guess the, the way we played our music, it might have sounded like rock. It wasn't definitely wasn't country gospel. But uh, I think there was then obviously I had like a conversation with my dad and and he said, you know, I shouldn't we shouldn't do those things. We shouldn't have events like that where we play music and we get, you know, we had huge crowds. We had four to five hundred people show up and everybody was interested. This was very new at the time. So there was people from every church, Rhinelanda, you know, Zama Felda, Okani, everybody showed up and just to wow. hear the music. They were so interested. Right? So. Yeah, they, we have, I have some good memories of that, so. That is cool. So, yeah, I can see then if you were getting involved with John Bolt and maybe eventually John Giesbrecht and those events and playing music and then hearing preaching, because I know John Giesbrecht talks about those opportunities with the Compassion, you said it was? Compassion Canada, yeah. Compassion, that that, that was also, on his part, he was trying to preach the gospel already? Yeah. Yeah, he was... Um... I don't even know exactly where John Giesbrecht comes into the picture. We we've known each other. Uh, I think when before I knew Susie, even my wife or my girlfriend at that time, before I even knew her, I got in somehow with John Giesbrecht. We hung out a few times and and we slowly started building our relationship from there. But I think I believe he would have gotten saved a little bit before me. Um, but yeah, he was he was starting to preach. Uh, trying to share the gospel at those events too. And I remember at one 
at one event. I I don't think I was saved at this time. I don't think I was a believer, but uh, I was. We were at one of these events and uh, we had played some music and I was preaching to the whole. There was probably 300 people at the time at this place, and I was preaching. Um, <laughs> not not a whole lot, but I was just explaining how Jesus had bled for us. He had bled in the five different places that he bled from. You know, all his blood was shed. I remember preaching okay. this, and, and later hearing back from that, there was actually a uh, <clears throat> another preacher from a different church that I met on a job site somewhere, and he he came to me and said, oh, "Yeah, I, I heard I heard that you were preaching, or I I listened to your preaching there," and he's basically kind of confronting me about it, saying, "You're just you shouldn't be because you're just a young guy, and maybe I shouldn't have been, but um, mm. I had definitely heard, heard feedback from that, but." Oh, that's very interesting. But you said in all of that um, learning and growing and changing and you uh, getting part of these events and stuff, you still can't really pinpoint when. I mean, your wife maybe points back to that Charles Stanley message. Yeah. So I, I remember I'm going to share this, share the scripture. Um, this would have been. So these are just little all these things that we've been talking about. They were kind of maybe little things that happened but some things that really stood out to us that are that's really stick out to me some events that happened was I mentioned already that we were Sunday school teachers um we were this was right after we were married we I think we had we had Leah at the time we might have had Rebecca our second daughter but this was a, maybe a few years into our marriage that one of the um Furshtaya, one of the I think he was a Furshtaya, or maybe a, a Zinya somebody came up to us and asked us if we wanted to be Sunday school leaders not just teachers but leaders like they had opened up a new church in Barnwell which is right close to here to Tabor and asked if we wanted to start a Sunday school there was a really high uh, a lot of people wanted Sunday school um so at the, at the time I, I wasn't quite sure because I felt you know I'm I'm really really unequipped for this I'm so young but nonetheless I decided you know I'm, I'm going to do it but I, I told this first I said I'll do it on one condition that I don't have to teach the children high German I said I want to do everything in low German because I said I don't know high German I can read it but I have no idea what I'm singing or saying so I said if I have access to do stuff in, in low German and I want to teach the Bible and he said oh absolutely he totally agree he said you have that's exactly okay. what I'm, so I'm like okay cool um and and during this time already um i know we had been involved in already in some other bible studies and and this all these other events that we had been going through like with compassion events all these things that was this is all mixed in together i don't even know what happened first or what but this is more significant i should say so we we started with that sunday school I, we were there probably uh a year and a half two years that we did this and and uh we were leader sunday school leaders with another couple and we were in agreement on a lot of things they we had good fellowship together we uh um we had a lot of talks like about scriptures and things like that what we wanted to do with the sunday school and, and we were starting to teach the bible like bible lessons actually and then low german explaining things to the children um but it, it there was a slight hiccup at one point where um there's a few we had some other teachers come in because we would we would also i guess not hire but we get other teachers to come in yeah. and and take turns teaching so we weren't always in the sunday school but there was a few teachers that wanted um to go through the kirkism and they wanted to do it in high german um and me i thought me being a leader i can say no i, I said no we want to do it in low german if anything i said i want to do the low german and we're also going to do go through it and explain it we're going to go verse by verse and we're going to explain what everything is we're going to break it down and see what we're talking about right okay and some people had a real problem with that so they they complained to the first style that i was basically saying no we don't want to have criticism the first guy called me and said basically you have to you have to do criticism in the sunday school and i told him i said oh well i don't want to do it in high german he said well that's how we have it so you have to and i said well in the beginning, I said, we agreed that I wouldn't have to teach in high German. And he said, yeah, I, I guess we did say that, right? So that the conversation was left at that. Um, but then I got a call from uh, uh, my other the Sunday school leaders we were with at, that, at the time. He, he called me the one day 
and inside they had called a meeting and they wanted us to be there. I'm like, okay, this is it. This is it, Susie. And uh, that was probably in the beginning of the week. But I remember later on during the week, Susie and I were driving to Lethbridge, I think for a shopping trip or something. And uh, we were, I was a little bit nervous for what was coming. And I said to Susie, um, I knew enough scripture already at this time. I'll just read it here. I have it pulled up. It's in uh, Luke 14. So we were driving. It was late in the evening. And uh, I said to Susie, are we ready or are we ready to take a stand and and take a stand on what on, on the Bible and what we really believe is that what we believe and know to be true? Mm-hmm. And I said, are, are we ready to face what whatever may come? Because in, in Luke, I brought this up, Luke 14. Um, in 27, it says, and whosoever does does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be be my disciple. And then uh, going down to verse 31, it says, or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000 or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an, an ambassage or an ambassador and desireth conditions of peace. Mm-hmm. So I said to Susie, are we ready? Are we ready to do this? Like Jesus is saying that we're supposed to count the cost of what, whatever, every decision that you make, there's a, a cost to it. He said, are we going to follow Jesus no matter what? I said, even though we feel like we're young, we have no idea what we're doing. I said, but I, I do know that I want to follow Jesus. I said, are we going to make that commitment? And uh, she said, well, we have to, right? And I said, absolutely. I said, I, I have to, I can't. I can't just back down and give in to whatever ideas people have. I said, my, I know I want to live by a truth, and that truth has to come from the Word of God. And it was that, so we had that meeting, and they basically, there was everybody, I think there was probably six, six to eight couples at the time in that Sunday school, and they were all accusing us, right? There was a lot of finger-pointing um, we, we were definitely put on the spot. Susie and I, we were a little bit intimidated there, but I guess we, I, I did manage to preach there. We had, um, we had made a, a list of a lot of scriptures that I wanted to share with the people. And one thing that they accused of us was what I said, like we listened to, that I played rock music and uh, that I was just wanting to change things. I wanted to, you know, go into a low German and then eventually I would do English and all those things. Those are all accusations, right? But one of the scriptures that I shared with them was uh, was Paul. I said in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 19, Paul says, Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than yeah. 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. And I had everybody quiet, like nobody knew what to say because I said, Why do we want to teach in a language that nobody understands? I said, I would rather, just like Paul, rather speak five words in a known tongue than 10,000 in Anota. Right. And, Let it uh, be low German, right? Yeah, exactly. And I know there were some teachers there that I'm sure they knew high German, but I knew absolutely none of the kids there knew high German, right? So basically, we nothing was settled at that meeting, but I think it was a few days later that um, my dad called me and said it would be better off if we, that we weren't Sunday school teachers because there was disagreements. And and I said, well, dad, I, I, I'm sorry that this happened. I said, but I, I made a commitment. I said uh, I would never stray away from teaching what the Bible says. And I said I'm 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 disappointed that you don't see it the same way. And he said, Well, I I agree with you that you know I can see that you're trying to do the right thing, but just for the sake of keeping the peace, maybe it's better that you're not there. And I was at that. I was so disappointing because I felt my dad had always stood behind me. I he was always proud of the things that I did, but this was one of those things where like really, Dad, there's a little bit of you know confusion here and, and some people are angry at us so you're just gonna say just walk away and and you know let oh. them have their way i was i was very disappointed at that and then with that came you know and Ubmo came around all those things we didn't go to Ubmo. we we disagreed with a lot of things in the church and then we didn't get kicked out but again my dad called and said you know maybe maybe best if you guys weren't here so yeah, that is disappointing, man. Like to to know your dad's character, to know how much you respected him and appreciated him, and yeah. probably still very much do, right? But to know that he couldn't stand against—I mean, who knows what kind of pressure he was facing, right? Like just because someone's in leadership doesn't mean they can do what they want. I remember 
uh, the old colony Altasta here growing up was at Altasta Kinalt's aunt's, that's uh, a bishop in Corneans, and um, he was very strong uh, leader, I think. He knew the gospel fairly well, but now hearing stories uh, of his time in leadership, he wasn't permitted to say all that he wanted to say. You know, he, yeah. he did preach the gospel sometimes, but he got criticized for it. He wanted to sometimes speak more simply and plainly and uh, allow Bible studies, but he always had to kind of hold back, you know, always trying to keep everybody happy, this side happy, that side happy, and that, that kind of political uh, pandering usually doesn't lead to a lot of good stuff, eh? Yeah, yeah I would, uh, <clears throat> I think, I, I believe my dad was, he was in turmoil too, like, thinking of like he I know he was proud of me at the time but then you know seeing that you know there's a lot of people that disagree with my son and then him having to tell me that you know maybe I should back off I know that was very hard for him um but at the same time I I, I don't know how people can live like that I I can see how his his load is tremendously heavy but it doesn't need mm -hmm. to be like no exactly I, I couldn't do it I would I would you know I would have died out of you know just peer pressure already just I just, I, I, since we made that commitment, you know, no matter what the cost, following Jesus is always easier. Even if he's like, he does say, pick up your cross and follow me. And I know he was speaking to the disciples at the time. Are you willing to be crucified with me? That is at the end of the day, that is a better route to go than compromise. Like, absolutely. And I am so glad that we did not compromise. I, I don't know where we'd be today if we had, if we had compromised and just said, you know what, let's just go with the flow that, uh, the life that that Jesus command or that uh, uh, Jesus offers to those to the people that don't compromise and stick with Him is is a much better life than Amen. than living a life under just always under scrutiny where people are watching you and, and you just you basically guide you're making sure your life follows exactly that path that other people have determined for you. That's that is not right. a healthy way to live. Right. No, it reminds me of where Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There yep. is burdens in Christianity and there is a yoke, there's work to be done. But yep. it comes with this sense of assurance and calmness and lightness, right? It's a light yoke in that sense, partially yep. because he did all the work and we just rest yep. and trust in his work. But even when we get opposition and persecution, even people come after us, there's a, a knowing that I'm okay with the one who matters most, right? So yeah. I would imagine this decision then when you left the old colony and all that, that must have led to a lot more persecution yet. You probably took some more strong stands against your upbringing and uh, tradition. Um, against tradition, yes, some some traditions. And like you said in, in some of your videos too, like a lot of the traditions that the Mennonites have, the old colony Mennonites are really, they're good traditions. Um, some of them are are terrible. I would say like they're damnable traditions, heresies. Right. Um, but, uh, with, after that, after we left, there was, there was some persecution, but it, it almost seemed like we could breathe a sigh of relief. And I, I believe for my parents, it was too. They, um, obviously they had a very hard time with it. And, and we had many discussions after that. I, I've shared the gospel with them many times and they would agree, but then always disagree with that. Right. And, and there was many discussions on, on why, why did it have to come to this? Why did you have to do this? And, uh, I, I, I was very upfront with my dad. I was never rude or mean or confrontational or anything, but I, I said to him, dad, you have preachers that are preaching that I, I gave an example that I heard this multiple times that in the pulpit, I would, ha I had heard many times from different preachers that the way to heaven was, was, was like a church. The church is the way to heaven. And it's like a ladder hmm. and it's a ladder you're climbing and every, every rung, is the, your church so if you don't go to church let's say two or three sundays there's three two or three rungs missing from that ladder right and let's say you miss a year how are you ever going to reach the top i i heard that right and and i told my dad i said that is being that is preached in the pulpit i said that's that's damnable i said that that, that should never that's teaching people that church is a way to have it has nothing to do with jesus and and my dad agreed he said yeah you're you're right that that shouldn't be preached and i said well why 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 i can't i can't sit there and listen to it and just pretend i'm okay with it and, and just keep but, coming but speaking and... speaking low german or english is worse 
than teaching you that you get saved by going to church and by keeping rules. Yeah, right. It was, um, but he, he came back to me a few days later and he said, you know, Rick, I, maybe that's not right what they're doing, but he said, but sometimes preachers have to say things that, um, that will keep people in line, that will keep people obedient basically. And oh, I was, man. I, there was just thing after thing. I was like, I couldn't believe that, you know, as much as I love my dad, some of the things that he said as an altist, I were, I was like, well, I, I just can't stand for that. I, I won't, I, ca I cannot sit here and pretend like everything's okay when, when there's things like that being preached, right? Oh my. Yeah. That is tough to hear. So uh, how many years ago would this have been that you guys left Old Colony? Um, Susie and I talked about, I believe it's six, six years ago. So it's really quite recent in a sense. Yeah. I, and sometimes it feels like it's a lifetime ago, but really, if you if you start counting the years, it's not it's not that much. No, a lot, a lot. I think it's it seems like it's so so long ago because so much has happened, so much in in, in our personal walks with with God and 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 getting to know Him more and understanding Scriptures more and and seeing other people come to the faith. And there's I don't know. It just feels like life is is on a roll now. <laughs> also, I realize well we're thirty years older. Children are growing up. Our oldest is eight. Right. Um, it seems like life is going fast now. But um, yeah, it's, it was, uh, I believe, six years ago that we left. Yeah. You guys have four or five kids? Six. Six. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there were there was so many kids there that Sunday. I didn't know for sure now how many it was. Yeah. That's, oh yeah I do remember you saying that now. Yeah. <clears throat> so since then, obviously, a lot has happened in, in southern Alberta even. It seems to be that there's a, quite an awakening. A lot of people coming out of Old Colony. I, I kind of got the impression that when we were there, that a lot of the people visiting were originally from Ontario, but maybe that's kind of normal among Albertans anyway, the, among the old colony, or am I missing something? Yeah, I, there has been a lot of people coming from Ontario in, in the last years. Um, okay. um, but even within, within our group, within our, the church now, within Liberty Bible Church, there is a lot of like even cousins of mine that are all southern alberta alberta boys you could say and their yeah. wives even a lot of families that are strictly here from from alberta even though some of them might have been born in mexico and they come here when they're kids but um a lot has happened there's i, I think it was i don't know if this group of, of people that i was with if we were the at first ones it felt like to we say come out of the old colony but really we we got saved we 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 just wanted to follow Jesus. We were excited. We were zealous. We were uh, fired up. We say, um, I don't know if we were the beginning of that, but it sure felt like it. And and there's right. been there's been a lot of fruit from it. Like my my two youngest brothers, uh, they both profess faith in Jesus, and and uh, I have multiple cousins and a lot of family members. Like I could my sisters, I think they don't they don't agree with us. Um, my, my like I said, my two younger brothers and I have a lot of cousins. I have cousins up up north that's like in Two Hills area. That's like five hours north of here. Um, it just, it's, it's it happens constantly where I hear of, oh, that guy got saved, that guy got saved, mm -hmm. that. And just yesterday, my, one of my cousins from, from Texas got old. I mean, he's asking me questions about the Bible and, and some scriptures. And it's just, it's so exciting when, you know, it's, sometimes it feels like, there's not a lot of not a lot going on in the Christian world, like as far as people come to the faith. But right now, recently, there's been there's been so many, that and it, awesome. it's, it's it's very encouraging. Yeah. yeah, sometimes you look at uh, at a group and you're like, all these hundreds of people, and so few of them are saved. But then you hear this story, that story, and like you can you can yeah. literally find dozens of people who have gotten to understand the gospel and are clear on it now. Right, like we had. Uh, up, upwards of 400 people at some of those uh, services there right and it's people yep. who are obviously pretty interested in the gospel whether they're saved or not right but it's that's a neat to me it seems like every few years around elmer as well um god kind of stirs up a bunch of young people and then they rise up and they try to make some change at the old colony and they kind of get banished and pushed out and their their lines are not quite as firm as your guys is out there maybe but they then they they start searching for churches, right? And then you know other groups can kind of pick them up, or you know our our ministries might reach into their circles somehow, right? Through videos now and different things like that. But definitely, yeah. God seems to be doing a work there. 
in Alberta. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. And you're you're actually uh, recently ordained as a deacon there, if I understand correctly. Yes. Yeah. That was in in March of this uh, this year, I guess. Still. So yeah, it's um, almost a year that I was ordained as a deacon in Liberty Bible Church. So that's been good. I preach every now and then. I'm not a full time preacher. I'm not as well at speaking yet as, as John and John are, but I uh, definitely have a desire to do ministry. And I, I don't know, I believe one day God has called us to do something in the mission field. I don't know what, I have very little idea about it, but I, uh, I, I believe through certain things that have happened that I believe God has called us to some sort of mission field. I don't know what, whether that's leaving the country or staying in the country or planting a church or helping with a church or, somewhere else. I don't or even that. if it's, if it's cross-cultural or if it would stay within the culture. That I don't know that, no, but I don't know. It's I, somehow just like Paul says, he always feels like he, he loves his own brethren, right? He wants to reach his own brethren, but then he, he knows he was called to preach the Gentiles. Yeah. Um, but Paul always had a desire to reach his own people. And, and I think that um, it, it's, it's natural in a way we, we feel like we can communicate best with our own people, people that are from the same cultures as we are. Right. And that's why I think even Liberty Bible church, we wouldn't say we're, we're a Mennonite church. We reach Mennonite people, but that's just what it is. We, yep. there's a few of us now that are, that are not, don't come from a German or a Plotitsche background, but most of us are like 98% of us are German people. And it's just, that's just how we, we reach each other like that because we can, interact and communicate that way yeah. but, um, it's not it's not that we focus on just reaching german people right but, yeah but i kind it, of struggled with that for a bit because on one hand you know you think of the kingdom of god it is uh, neither um neither gentile or jew it's all one thing right and it can be yeah. from every tribe nation kindred tongue all squeezed into one place and we can all fellowship around the same thing the lord jesus but at the same time some churches try to make that a focus. Let's try to be as ethnically diverse as possible. And then they're trying to pander to different cultures. And it's like, you're not going to reach anybody. You know, you know how to communicate with our kind of people. And so the easiest by far approach to reaching people is to stay within your own community. Not, not like you said, not strictly try to stay with your own community, but preach in a way that they understand, speak in a way that they, that they, that caters to them a little bit. And that gives them yeah. better opportunity to understand. And I've just kind of gone with it. It seems like it's by far more yeah. fruitful for sure. Yeah. And if you see fruit then just keep, keep going, keep plowing the field. Right. Um, I was speaking with, uh, I did a job. Um, I was putting uh, siding on a church building in a really old historical church building in uh, a, a small hamlet north of here called Enchant. And, uh, that uh, church building, it's been there, I think it was built in, uh, it's irrelevant, I guess, to when it was built, um, but they, it's still operating, they still have the, it's an e-free church, an evangelical free church, and they still have uh, pastors coming in, sometimes a pastor will lead it, they, they had a pastor there for for years, um, but now they have a different pastor there, but anyways, it's, it's be, I know this because I grew up in that in that community of that, that town, or the hamlet of Enchant, um, so I, I was, I kind of know that community there, but as I was doing this, this, uh, siding on this church, the new pastor there, I think he's been there a, a few years, maybe we got to talking and, uh, discussing our backgrounds and things like that. And he's, he's an older gentleman, but, um, he was, he said he was honestly jealous of, of the Mennonite community. He said, you know, that you have, there's so many different denominations of, of Mennonite people in Southern Alberta, but he says they, they, none of them seems like really agree but on one thing they all agree with he says is they know when to show up to church and he says you can you can pack out doesn't matter what denomination you are if you call yourself a denomination whatever it is you will get people to your church on sunday mornings he says in in their community he says we have a few dutch people a few people that are just genuinely canadians um he says but he says our church building we have at the most 40 people with kids and he, he says it's always like that in summertime in the busy time we have a few families and in the winter when things are slow he says that's when our, our building is fullest we have a few sunday school classes just a few kids here a few kids there and, and a few families but he's like i i am honestly he, he came from a, a somewhat mennonite background but he said he was jealous from the Mennonites because he says you can start at a church you can be a gospel preaching church and people hear that 
you're preaching the gospel and you're going to, you're going to, people are going to flock to your church. And I, I was kind of like, I, it's true. Like for some reason, the Mennonite people are very receptive to, because as, as Mennonites, we can always say, oh, we believe in God in, in general. And yes, we have Mennonites do have, low German speaking Mennonites do have an idea of God, right? Um, often it's, it's tied into religion. So it's, it's a false idea of, of God and who, who Jesus Christ is and what he actually did. Um, but but there is truth to that. We have, you know, our Liberty Bible Church started in a basement two years ago, and now we have a consistent 100, 150 people show up on Sunday mornings, right? Yeah. Um, and and through that, we've seen genuine conversion. Like, um, and, and I was telling this this pastor, I said we've seen so many people being converted to Christ that we're they're they're excited and they're reaching other people, they're reaching family members, and he. He was genuinely, he said, man, I, I wish I could see that. I wish I could see that in our own communities, within within our people. And yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I really didn't know what to say because how do you, <laughs> I can't console him, but. I'm, I'm definitely not ashamed of the Mennonite culture for that reason. Yeah. Like there there yeah. is a community aspect to it that is far reaching and it doesn't seem to go away when you become a Christian. Some people totally disdain the Mennonite traditions and then they walk away completely and they'll go to a completely um, non-Mennonite kind of church but yeah. usually when you like even for my kids I used to think let them marry any Christian any solid biblical you know conservative type of Christian that's fine but the, the older I get the more I'm thinking no I, I it would be very helpful if they were a Mennonite <laughs> boy yeah. or girl I, like I, why is that it, it's not like there's a rule it, I wouldn't I wouldn't yeah. forbid someone outside of our culture but there's a huge advantage to being a part of something like this, where you understand each other's rhythm, you understand each other's uh, uh, history and where we came from. And there's a lot of benefit to that. And right now we live in a time and an age where the world seems to be trying to nullify nationalities. They don't want yeah. borders and countries. They don't want different nationalities to segregate or there, but you can't seem to help it. Like you go to a city and they got Chinatown, they got little Italy and they got all these yeah. different places. And the same thing with Mennonites. Like if I were to move to a new place somewhere, I'd want to be somewhere close enough to Mennonites that we can go and connect and find out yeah. who's who and where you came from and why you're here. And uh, it's just, there's a lot of benefit to it for sure. And then also yeah. on top for that reason, it makes preaching the gospel a lot of fun. I met a preacher once many years ago. He was a, uh, from an Amish background and he'd been preaching all over the place. They, he had won thousands of souls to Christ and he was part mm -hmm. of a very conservative movement, but they were winning Mennonite and Amish people mostly. And uh, he says, you know, that the people that I have seen go from zero to 10 fastest, meaning, you know, unsaved, unregenerate, lost, maybe doing drugs and alcohol, who knows what, yeah. to being stable and mature, solid families and preaching the gospel he says the people that i've seen go the fastest from zero to ten are old calling mennonite people he says i don't know why something about the way that they've raised their children obviously to be hardworking, but amish do that too yep. obviously to know that there's a god but you know all the other groups do that as well and I, I don't know what it is i still can't pinpoint it but there does seem to be something that in the old colony faith that tradition once you understand the gospel, it's like, ah, the lights come on and it all makes sense. And then you can just yeah. move forward. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, we were speaking about the traditions. I think a lot of the traditions that we have even speak of that, you know, speak of the, the morals of God and, and the way marriages work often that like, there is some, some really good marriages some strong marriages. I look at even my sisters, they're, they're very much involved in the old colony and stuff, but they have, they have good marriages. They there's so many, good things that from the traditions that we were taught but then there's there's some things i had i was just looking at some of the traditions here from scripture that um uh, this is not we could use the same same scripture but this is not speaking specifically about your calling but he says this is, this is jesus speaking the pharisees and scribes are coming to him and they're asking why walk not thy disciples according to the traditions of the elders but eat bread with unwashed hands mm -hmm. Jesus says unto them, well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of, of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, full well, ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Mm -hmm. that that is when tradition becomes very damaging when 
when Absolutely. something has to be so they're they're replacing the commandment of god with the commandment of man and saying this is how it now has to be and i i think one of the things especially in the old colony that was very damaging and i i, I know so many people that can testify to this is the confessing of sins now yes. it's not wrong we say it's not wrong to confess our sins but we actually are we're supposed to confess our sins one to another so that he may be healed the bible says mm-hmm. it's for the healing it, it you can tell someone hey can you pray for me I, i'm struggling with this you're confessing your sins and that person and maybe more people more brothers can pray for you so that ye may be healed but the idea that you can confess your sins to a preacher and he has the power to to forgive you or to even absolve you of that guilt that is that is not at all biblical that is that's catholicism that's that comes from the pits of hell right that's you know that's when tradition overrules the commandment of god it becomes very, very damaging right yeah and i guess that's another thing with old colony or a lot of religion you can really trace it back its roots to a lot of the catholicism and the traditions that they have right the kneeling and the confessing and all that kind of stuff even the style of singing and everything else but anyway man it's been uh, it's been nice uh hearing your story a bit more was there any other major thing that you really had wanted to point out that we've kind of skipped over maybe um no i don't i don't think so i think we that's a very short rundown of my life and right yeah oh that's awesome i hope uh, i hope that your your music and your uh, preaching and your service to the church continues to glorify god and build people up and bring more people into the faith and uh if if the lord wills and he opens doors that you start some ministry somewhere maybe missions or anything like that that'd be really exciting to see too so Hopefully we can stay in touch and learn more about it as we go. You don't do any kind of social media posts or anything like that, do you? I don't know. Okay. Very good, man. I appreciate it. Alrighty. It was good talking to you. All right. God bless you. Yeah, you as well. See ya.